Bloody Elbow presents the Level Change Podcast, a combat sports variety show that brings you analysis, fight breakdowns, and insightful discussion of MMA's biggest headlines. Here are your hosts, Steffi Haynes and Victor Rodriguez. Welcome back, and thank you for listening to episode 191 of the Level Change Podcast. I'm Steffi Haynes, and I'm joined by my co-host, Victor Rodriguez. And today we have a special guest co-host from MMARatings.com, Mr. Schwan Humes, a great, great analyst. Now, today we'll be discussing the biggest storylines from UFC 279, the weird edited footage of the now infamous backstage brawl from the failed UFC 279 pre-fight press conference, Jake Paul's short response to Nate's Cinderella victory, and we'll take a look back at a couple moments from other promotions over the weekend. Schwan, it is so good to finally have you sit in with us. What did you think of UFC 279 overall? If I was giving it a grade, given how they handled the situations at the end of it, I'd say it was closer to an eight or a nine because they managed to rescue, take a, things from the jaws of defeat and put towards a card with better matchups, more interesting matchups, more fair matchups. But originally I didn't have a lot of faith in this card. I didn't think the fights between Diaz and Jemayev was very interesting. I didn't think the fight between Holland and Rodriguez really had any, I mean, it was a good fight, but it didn't have anything that was selling it. And the same thing with Ferguson um, versus the leech. I, I didn't understand the matchmaking unless you're just trying to use them to prop up future stars in the division. Um, the way it ended up, I thought was much more fan friendly and much more competitive. I, I I have to agree with a lot of that, especially the fact that look, we've all seen we've all seen like the passing of the torch type of matchups right now. Is the young, hungry up and comer ready for this next step of competition? And is the grizzled veteran ready to stave him off and make another run moving up the ladder? It's usually the kind of thing that we're you know, it's not always that easy to readily identify. But we know what that is when we see it a lot of the time. And it seems like they were kind of doing something like that, but the gaps were like way too wide. You know, there's this massive chasm with Diaz and Chimaev and the the lack of um, really consideration for Ferguson's well-being coming into that uh, bout with, uh, with, with Leach. You know, it just didn't seem like none of these fights really seemed to have made much sense. And it really made you they were they were mismatches on paper to the degree that we were all legitimately concerned for the well-being of some of these participants what did we get instead like Schwan said right a much more fairer set of fights that made a greater degree of sense i mean look nate diaz winning over ferguson does ferguson really lose that much in this probably not did he really uh get out there and get super styled on the way he would have had he fought anybody else I don't know, probably, but this was a much more humane set of pairings. And I actually think that this was a way better way to go about it. You know, Holland versus Chimaev. Holland has some recognition with the hardcores and Chimaev is already, uh, you know, blazing through opposition. Why the hell not? I, I, I don't really, 
I don't know how much stock to put into some of the conspiracy theory bullshit that's going around as far as like, oh, the UFC knew it and they planned it ahead of time, all that. And Chimaev's weight missing being mysterious. I don't, I don't really I'm not really putting my tinfoil hat on for any of this stuff right now. But I will say this. It certainly seemed like a way better card on paper after all these shuffles were made because, boy, it wasn't looking great the first time around. And I don't really know if that affected their profitability or not. But. And I, I, I guess it was fine. I mean, on, I'd have to give this one probably, uh, if we're just looking at the main card, I'd probably give it a seven or an eight. I enjoyed it after the fact, for sure. And I guess I would give it about a 7.5. MMA, one of the draws to it is, even though people complain about judging and crazy stuff happening, right. that's part of the draw. It's got a sort of sort of rawness that even boxing, mm-hmm. boxing been around so much is a little bit more rehearsed. So UFC, which most people think MMA is, when crazy things happen, it helps it helps sell it. It helps spread this spread the word. It helps people want to watch it because you don't want to miss whatever crazy antics or mismatches or crazy now now uh, rearranged fights are going to pop up. I actually think this helps the UFC long term, actually, because you literally never know what's going to happen. Um, let's talk about Nate Diaz versus Tony Ferguson, though, because there were moments where they both looked like they were fighting underwater, and there were moments where uh, each one of them shined. It was a it was a pretty good outcome. I wasn't expecting Tony to to be finished, though. Were you, Shawn? Uh, before the fights, I had done some little clips for videos, kind of breaking down my overall assessment of both fighters. And in many ways, to me, Tony and uh, Nate are very similar. They're kind of cardio activity based fighters who usually walk guys down and lean on their durability to grind guys out of submissions or to out volume and beat them, beat them in submission. Um, my main concern on Nate's side was Nate's biggest advantage in his career has always been his cardio and his durability. But as they started putting better athletes into the UFC, he's take the punishment he's taken has taken a higher level. And since strength and conditioning is now part of it because it's a professional sport, those marathons that he does doesn't give him the huge advantage in gas tank. On behalf of Tony Ferguson, he's always fought to break his opponent. I've said this for years. He doesn't fight to beat you. He fights to break you. So what he ends up doing is putting himself in harm's way because he's trying to beat you with your style. And usually he's won. But that comes with a price. So now later in his career, that durability isn't there and some of that cardio isn't. So I thought it was a good matchup because neither guy's as durable as they used to be. Neither guy was having a, a tremendous uh, cardio advantage. Um, I thought if anybody was going to be finished, it would be Tony because Nate has generally fought the better class of competition. And he hasn't been stopped really, like really stopped the way Tony has in recent outings. He got stopped by Gaethje, got stopped by um, who else? Chandler. And then I think he got stopped by one other person, if I'm correct. I just thought it was I thought it was more likely that Tony would be able to get stopped. One, because his durability is not there. And two, I don't think he always fights with the right amount of discipline. Yeah. That's very, yeah. very true. And that that is one way to put it, right? I mean, discipline, I don't really know where his head at is a, a lot of the times, you know. And he was uh talking about how he had made the uh adjustments going over to Jackson Winkle John. I was like, Yeah, that, that defense is going out the window now. Watch. And and it kinda happened, you know. And I don't mean to keep dumping on that team so often, but it's like I don't know, man, what other common denominator can we look at here other than that? But you look at the fact that, like you said, Schwann, right? I mean, you know, there's the losses to uh, Chandler. There's the uh, loss to Gaethje where he got just, you know, 
obliterated. There was the he's had a couple of decision losses here and there. And I know a lot of people were kind of uh, harping on the whole deal about him being uh, uh, 0-5, you know, for his, losing his last five uh, fights. But at the same time, you got to look at who he's fighting. He is fighting the elite of the division at this point. You know, Chandler obviously still up there. Dariush is, you know, he's, he's one of those mid top 10 guys and he's always looking like a threat. Oliveira, that loss actually looks really good now because it was two years ago, and now Oliveira's got the belt. And Gaethje has pretty much been a top three guy for quite some time. So, you know, it, it does um, – it doesn't look that bad within that context, but it's the punishment he's taking in the process. It just doesn't look good, man. It, it's really not a thing where you're seeing a dude who's almost 40. He's continuing to take all this damage. He had to move up to finally, you know, maybe maybe put a little less uh, of a burden on his body. And yet still we end up with this. You know, he's going out there while Nate Diaz is still a dangerous guy and a good fighter. He went out there with a half-assed takedown and he got guillotined. And even though it was a marvelous guillotine, it was an unconventional one, which I'm sure we're going to get to in a bit. Um Dude, it's 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 sad. It's sad seeing a man who once could have been king go out there and 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 be so down bad like he is now. I, it just you know it, it is a little heartbreaking. Now we are going to talk about that very unconventional submission, it's especially the pressure he applied with his his forearm, his his fist on the side of Ferguson's neck that if, if, if very effectively put him out. Uh, Schwan, you want to weigh in on that? Well, the only thing I'll, I'll say is Nate, as much as Nate puts on that tough guy act, that street act or whatever, the fact of the matter is he's a smart guy. He's a martial artist. His mm-hmm. team is full of martial artists. So if one thing you know about Tony Ferguson is he's very he's very good from top position, but he's also very good at, in, in adjusting position or scrambling out of bad position when people threaten him. So when he adjust, when he c- kind of got creative with the submission, I wasn't really shocked by that. I feel like he knew he was going to have to do something not within the realm of the typical submission attempt because Tony's a, not a guy who likes to tap and B he's, he's a, he's a very good grappler in and of himself. You're not just going to catch him in a traditional submission. He'll work his way out. He'll, he'll grind his way out. He'll scramble, explode. He'll flip his body over just anything he can do to get out of it. So you have to make an adjustment and you have to do it early. You can't wait till he starts escaping. You have to hit him with it early because the more time you give, Tony, to create some chaos, he's going to find it. So I think Nate kind of saw the, once he realized the takedown attempt wasn't really clean, didn't have anything behind it, then he cinched it on because he knows if he lets, if he tries to secure a position first and then goes for it, Tony's going to pop out. Tony's going to sacrifice his body or positioning to to relieve pressure, and then it's a whole nother fight again. That sounds about right, man. If you don't put him down, he's just going to keep getting back up. And let me tell you something. You don't want that dude coming back up. It's funny how he's got that boogeyman nickname when, you know, those all the zombie nicknames in MMA would feel a lot more appropriate for him. <laughs> all right. So who do you match him up with? Because he is clearly saying that he is not retiring. So pair him off with someone, Schwan. I'm trying to think that the Nate Diaz fight was probably one of the better fights you could have gotten for him mm-hmm. just because of another guy who's not what he used to be and is a comparable level as far as their athleticism and speed and even their style. Nate's going to take a certain amount of punishment. So you're going to you, you're able to look good against him because he's not super athletic. He's not super slick defensively. He he's got some craft to him, but you can get to Nate. You can put on a good show. Nate's never going to make you truly look bad. Um, if I had to guess somebody. 
if they don't use him as some kind of fodder for maybe a a McGregor coming about, I would say you could put him in with a Dan Hooker. Hooker is clearly not an elite 55 guy. For some reason, people thought because he could go rounds, he was elite. He's not. Uh, You could have him move up. I mean, he'd be willing to take the fight. He'd move up for a fight because it'd be a money fight and it'd be a fight on a main card. Um, You could probably get somebody like that just because he's faded as well. He's not super durable. He's not a dynamic athlete. It's a, it'd still be a 50-50 fight at this stage. Um, if you're going to go actual legitimate welterweights, um, maybe you go uh, – oh, I'm trying to think. You could try maybe a Jorge Masvidal maybe because, once again, he's on a losing streak and there's he's not going to get a shot at Leon. I don't think he wants to fight a Burns, and he, he needs to get a win back on the charts. So. You, you can match him up against uh, – it'd be Jorge versus um, Ferguson, and it's, it's probably a clear win for Jorge, but at least it's a – Jorge's on the downside too, so at least it's competitive. How about Lawler? Mm. I don't know. Lawler still hits real hard. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, try, I'm, try, I'm trying not to get Tony Ferguson killed because – just so you all know, I, I know I, I dealt with some of the Jackson guys before because I've worked with some people who were attached to their camp, and I've had people I know who've attended their camps. I like their concepts and their strategies, but they lean very heavily on their fighters' physical tools, whether it's durability and John Jones' case, durability and size, Holly Holm, pace and, and athleticism. They don't really handle the nuts and bolts as well, in my opinion. Oh. And so Tony Tony will be creative. He'll fight with a, a fairly good strategy. But those little in-between spots, like using your jab to set things up and throwing crisp combinations, they're not going to be there. And the defense won't either. Robbie Lawler might might literally kill Tony Ferguson because Robbie Lawler still got some speed and power. Tony doesn't have either. Yikes. Okay, Victor, get in on this. <laughs> I yeah the main question here becomes okay where does he come back right I mean it's it's a question of whether he returns to lightweight which he probably shouldn't do at this point or whether he decides to stick around at welterweight which I don't know if that's the best option either again he's 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 a little he's a little shot and I'm, I'm sorry to say it but that's the truth um probably Luca who's at ranked at number 10 if he's going to welterweight but must be that seems like a better matchup too if he's going to shoot you know for something a little higher and it would also be competitive because you've got the scrambles and the wrestling and let's not make any mistake here Jorge, he's lost some steps man he's he's out in the weeds ever since the uh ever since that whole deal with um you know, the BMF fight not going the way that it could have and then him deciding that he was going to make politics more of a priority and he was going to go out here and do all this. Like, I'm not saying that uh, he lost his drive for fighting, but I do think that some of the focus may have, you know, being pulled in a couple of different directions and finally hitting that point where all the damage and all the uh, stresses of a fight career catch up to you at once after you hit that big lick. As, I think that's kind of what it is. I think he's unfortunately, you know, he hit that moment of, of success at the right moment. And now it's just like, you know, he's just not dealing with it. So I'm curious as to how he'd deal with a guy who's got this weird, funky wrestling and who loves using those elbows, who loves getting people's faces. I, I, I'm curious to see how that would go, although he could probably get smoked there. But then again, he might actually survive that and, and, and would stand and actually do a lot of damage there. And of course, we've got his amazing and tenacious submission game that could put Jorge on, on um, you know, really, really put him in some bad spots. If he were to remain at lightweight, I would probably say right now at number eight, sitting pretty, Rafael Dos Anjos, who is, uh, you know, I mean, a rematch between them 
might be pretty decent. I, you know, look, let's not kid ourselves. Dos Anjos, he's also getting a little older. He's also lost a little bit of speed on his fastball. Uh, sure. I mean, why not, right? Like, it seems, again, we're looking at more humane matchups. And it's so unfortunate that we have to continue to use those these terms. But we, we can't we can't parse this any other way. Like, this is the only fair way to talk about this. These guys are already taking so much fucking damage. I, I don't want to see them suffering anymore. I don't want to see them mumbling anymore than they have to when they're done with this whole game. So I guess I'd probably go with that since Gamrod is getting a big step up coming up. Other than that, if he doesn't mind fighting back um, in in line, I'd probably say, well, actually, no, I shouldn't even say that because um, Tony's not even ranked. But if he had to fight somebody in the top 15, you know, Ismagulov is at 15, which, you know, maybe wouldn't be that exciting, but maybe Jalen Turner. That seems like a more intriguing fight to me. He's ranked at number 13. So maybe that might be the ticket. Yeah, let's not give him anybody in the top 15. How about that? If he's going to Or we can do that. It. We can do that too. But, you know, like, listen, the marquee, uh, uh, the, you know, when, when you have somebody who takes up the kind of oxygen that he does, when you have someone who's got the reputation he's got and the highlight reel that he's got, like, he's probably commanding a bit of a bigger paycheck than some of the other guys. They're going to probably want to be like, look, we're paying you top 15 money. We want you to fight guys in the top 15. No, no. You know no, what I mean? Like, it's one thing is what we want, but I don't oh, know. Hold, hold on. I'm talking about him staying at 170 where he's not ranked. He is on a five-fight losing streak, and he's not ranked at 170. Uh, Schwann had the right idea there when he said if you're not using him for fodder as a step-up, that's what you do. You have him play the role of Jim Miller. You have him meet all of these <clears throat> excuse me you have him meet all of the up-and-coming hot prospects and he's the barrier for entry just like jim miller is it, it's a sink or swim thing with him he's on a five fight losing streak he's got to get a win and that's how you do it uh otherwise if he can't get that win then he's got to go yeah I, I i would agree and one, one thing about tony he I assume he's made a fair amount of money. I, I like to think so. And I like, I like, I think he'll be a good coach moving forward when, whenever he decides to go in that element. But, but as I said before, that style of trying to break people, you know how much unnecessary punishment he took against Lando Venata, yes. Donald Cerrone, everybody else. And he had, at one point he had the ability to box in the chain takedowns together and submissions, but he will always get in all these firefights and a lesson for any fighter moving forward. That style has a time limit. And once you go past it, it gets ugly fast. He went from a top five ranked lightweight to a guy who's not ranked, who's not even top 30 ranked ranked lightweight. That's how bad it happens, how fast it happens when you take that kind of punishment. So it's very hard to move him forward. I like that RDA idea, though. You could, because RDA could fight at 170 or 155. He could move up and just say, I'll take the fight because it's a name fight to, to get that win back. Or maybe one other thing. And I doubt it happens, but maybe Wonder Boy wants a soft touch and coming back. That's still a fight you could maybe sell. Mm. Maybe because he could still the doubt. The idea is that he could possibly wrestle Wonder Boy and Wonder Boy didn't look super athletic in his last, last fight either. He's probably lost a step. So maybe Tony could sneak a submission in or something. Maybe it's the only thing I got. He, he might have the remedy for that country boy karate. You ain't wrong. <laughs> yeah, he'd do some real shit. I like oh, that. Goodness. All right. So we are going to move on to the co-main event, Chumayev's domination of Kevin Holland. Listen, Chumayev looks like he should be a light heavyweight. My God, he's huge. I, I am 100% of the idea that he's a size bully. Is he gifted? Yes, he is. Those two things can be in the same sentence, in the same space, at the same time. But I still would like to see him 
go through some rounds. I'd like to see him appropriately matched and not somebody that's uh, 24 hours notice. Definitely not somebody that's well beyond his prime and Diaz. I want to see him fight somebody prime and somebody that can give him a challenge. Schwan, weigh in. Um, right when he when he didn't make weight, I wasn't shocked by that. And I've, I agree with you. I've been saying this for years. Everybody keeps telling me how good his wrestling is, his striking. I'm like, it's it's decent. It's not great. The thing is, he's very big. But what really makes him a trouble is that he's a big guy who's got welterweight level athleticism. He's like a very big middleweight who moves as quick as the fastest welterweights. So it's hard to to beat him because he's on you so quickly. And then he's also can physically dominate positions. Secondly, even if you're a big hitter at the weight class, when you're fighting somebody who who literally is coming in looking like a light heavyweight, mm-hmm. he can handle the power. Even if you hit him really hard, he can recover because of the size. And the whole time you're hitting him with shots, he's hitting with you with shots. He's putting a body on you. He's wearing you down. So against most guys who aren't top athletes, he just blows them. He just blows through them and dominates them. Submission, knockout, whatever. But when he fought Gilbert Burns, Burns was a comparable athlete. So he couldn't just walk through him. Plus, he had to respect the grappling. So it ended up being a firefight. And Burns was able to come back and land shots. And you saw the holes in his armor. He likes to fight too much. He stands tall in the pocket. He over pursues and runs into shots. But his size would able, he basically gasped Gilbert out. Gilbert couldn't fight at pace and he wore him down. I thought Holland would put up a better fight because Holland is athletic and he's long. It's just that Cosmod's physicality allows him to dictate terms of engagement. So you have to face him. You have to put him up against somebody who's at least got some comparable athleticism and size. That's basically it. He somebody he can't have his way with. Kamara Usman, he probably can't have his way with. Leon Edwards, as good as he is, doesn't like pressure. He could probably bully him a little bit. But someone like Kamara Usman, um, I want to middleweight maybe Robert Whitaker could probably stymie yes. him. But you've got to have some size. Robert Whitaker is an ideal opponent i would also like to see him against izzy at some point he is just i cannot get over how much bigger he is than everybody else and uh he's bigger than a lot of the guys at middleweight too he's enormous i mean this is a guy that could easily easily make a jump from welterweight straight up into light heavyweight i think daniel cormier said the day before that he the day before weigh-ins thursday he was 22 pounds over my gosh. Jesus Christ. You know, what kind of water cut was this guy having just to get within eight pounds? Yeah. And what was the story behind the whole medical thing? And what was this, the, the idea with the uh, the rumors that were going around that he was uh, pretty much eating like a king the day before the weigh-ins? Like it wasn't, you know, I, I, I don't know what to make. Look, I obviously don't believe everything you hear online, but that is that part is kind of fishy, isn't it? Like how did what was what was. How come no one's going to press Dana on this? But it would be nice if someone asked him a little bit more of the details regarding why he had to stop cutting and what the uh, what prompted uh, the the need for an inclusion of a doctor for someone to be brought in in the first place and evaluate that. Uh, but I don't think we're going to get any answers out of that, unfortunately. Uh, I guess, yeah, look, I, the best thing really to happen now, Jemayev is going to probably have to move out to middleweight. He, he, we can't keep doing this. I mean, there, I, I get it. They want him to be the next big superstar. No matter how many boos you hear in the arena, they're trying to fill that gap of the next big Muslim superstar. That, you know, that, 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 um, that incredible niche that was left by – uh, Khabib, they probably think that this would be the guy that could at least replace it in some capacity because it's about global business. 
It is about buy rates and distribution deals around the world. And they already carved in a good amount of that market with Khabib. But now that he's gone, it's like, well, you got Makachev, who isn't a big star. But you have this guy who can be just by virtue of his ability to fight the way that he does. Problem is, he's got a hell of a bad attitude. And he's, you know, when you're starting altercations with people, when you are constantly getting involved, you got the situation with Holland early in the week. You got the situation with Nate. And then you had the situation with Costa not that long ago. He's always constantly involved in some kind of beef. And at some point, you got to wonder, okay, is this dude just an unfortunate victim of circumstance? He's just maybe misunderstood by all these people. Or is he a genuine and certified A1 class level asshole? What is going on with this dude? And why is he doing so much of this? It doesn't really make that much sense to me. But um, other than that, what's that? I said he he's in in Muslim countries and countries that support him. He's going to be the hero. But what he's actually doing, he could be you could sell him as a heel because everybody hates him mm-hmm. in America. And he'll he'll appeal to other countries because he's beating up all the American champions mm-hmm. or all the other nations champions. Right. But the yeah. one thing he's doing, he, he stole it from Connie, Conor McGregor. He stole this from Connor. He starts stuff with everybody. I'm not even saying it's not real, but he starts stuff with everybody. So everybody is talking about him next time they right. interview Costa. What happened with Cosmo? He talked to Holland. What happened with Cosmo? He talked to Nate Diaz. Just beat Tony Ferguson and actually beat the UFC. He got out of his contract on a win. What's the first thing he talks about? That BS Cosmo. Like everybody's still talking about him. Everybody, even though he he didn't have an interesting matchup or a really exciting fight, people are still talking about him. So his mon- he sets as many fires as possible. So it always comes back to him, and it's going to yeah. force the UFC's hand to move him up faster because he's constantly starting. He's he. I could take Israel. I could take yeah. this guy. I could take this guy. He's got people at multiple weights talking about him. And he was fighting at welterweight. Yeah, uh, it is. It is something of a combination of like the McGregor recipe, right? Like, as you said, which which is, again, great observation, right? If you keep talking shit about everybody, at some point, everyone's going to be talking about you, right? Like we saw what happened with O'Malley. He kind of had a bit of that coming up. Patty Pimblett is having some of that right now. And you could probably do it kind of like, and I know people don't, a lot of people hate the pro wrestling comparisons, but you could do the Bret Hart twist. You know, he was a villain in America, but a hero in Canada. And if you keep doing that right for the international markets, you present him as the as, as the, the gringo slayer. <laughs> and, you know, yep. American fans can gravitate to him or not, but they're going to pay to see him anyway, because, I mean, most of the pay-per-view market is concentrated here for better or for worse. And that's that's fine. Let's talk about Li Jingliang, in my opinion, getting robbed. Schwan, what do you think of this fight? Yeah, I thought it was I thought it was pretty clear that he he got he got robbed. I I mean, I don't want to say Rodriguez didn't have some moments. I don't want to say he didn't do some good work in there. But at no point did I feel like he was turning the momentum or taking over the fight. Like he never took a lead and he was never able to completely turn the tide. He was able to stop it a couple of times where he wasn't completely overwhelmed. But at no point was he able ever to take over the fight or really put enough punishment on where I thought, Okay, he's finding his rhythm. He's getting under his control. He's starting to take it to him. I thought that uh, the leeches, him being the uh, the lighter guy, I think his athleticism caused caused Rodriguez a little bit of problems. I don't think Rodriguez was used to the speed or maybe even the agility. And then you add in the fact that the leech is actually a pretty physical fighter. I think it, Rodriguez was just a step behind the entire the entirety of the fight. I thought he felt like he could impose his will on him, but leech was a little bit faster with his hands, a little bit faster in in any grappling exchanges. And then he was also stronger. And um, I think he's just a better class of fighter. And Rodriguez just thought he was going to be able to physically bully him. Like he he planned for Kevin Holland, a guy he should be able to impose his will on and kind of um, bully. And the leech was, one, able to stand up to it, and B, just a half step better as an athlete. 
Um, this one thing it does, and I hate to bring up this guy again, but it, it, it highlights how dynamic an athlete Cosmod is because he rolled through the leech easy and Rodriguez was struggling in a step, step or step and a half behind him the entirety of the fight. He couldn't really dominate position. He couldn't hold position. He couldn't really back him up or really work him over. And he had a 10 pound advantage and he, he just couldn't do much of anything with him. And, and that just shows you how much better an athlete and how much more physical power that's a guy like Shemayev has compared to a guy like Rodriguez. Shemayev actually picked Jing Liang up, carried him over a few feet, and dangled him in front of Dana White. I mean, that's the level of athleticism and physicality we're talking about here. And Jing yep. Liang, I mean, he out outpowered Daniel Rodriguez for all of the first and second rounds. Now, I will give Rodriguez credit where it's due. I felt like he did take the third round, but I didn't think it was a complete blowout or anything like that. And I felt like uh, Jing Liang won the first two rounds more convincingly than Rodriguez won the third. Victor, what did you think? I I was looking at, as I'm watching the fight, I'm sitting here looking at the stats and everything. I'm seeing how Daniel landed more uh, shots to the head. And I'm sitting here thinking, this is where I start having that problem. But when they do the metrics and they, and they tell you, oh, such and such fighter landed more significant strikes. You're like, well, how do you, how do you factor what is and what is not a significant strike? As they're, you know, they can be of varying degrees, right? All those shots to the head, like they, they landed, but did they really do that much more damage? And I'm a little worried. Maybe they were, I, I don't know. I'm, this, I might have to see it again. I do think it was a bit closer than some people might think. Um, I don't know that I really want to call it a robbery necessarily. I do feel bad that Lee probably should have gotten a nod, but um, I just, yeah, it, it just was uh, one of those deals where uh, Daniel, number one, should probably also go to middleweight, especially with that that void they have now uh, with, with you know, the lack of really uh, talent that can stand out and then break through from the pack. And then also just looking at this particular bout, yeah, he was bigger. And I, you know, I, I, I guess that helped him um, in being able to put more forward pressure than maybe what could have been expected. But I don't know that that is also uh, enough to really give him too much heat for this, you know, because, look, he's not the one who's scoring the fight in the end, you know, I, I guess – Shoot. Like if it I'd be upset if it was a less deserving fighter in some capacity. If it was someone who was doing a lot less, or you know, it's like, okay, well, fine. I mean, I don't like it, but these things do happen due to the judging and who knows what goes through their mind when these things are happening live. But as for Lee, man, I, I, I just think that maybe this might have been um pretty bad stylistic matchup in, in, in some way because it's like He's dealt with guys like this before, but never someone who's got the sort of sturdiness like that 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 frame and that reach combined. And uh, I, I worry if that maybe might have been it, but there's not too many other guys at Walter Waite that present that same set of problems. So I don't think that this is something that's going to send him too far back. I mean, it's just kind of what it is. And, you know, he can he can certainly move on and, and, and be fine, I think. Can I ask you a question real quick? Sure. Yeah, man. Yeah. Like, because I, I don't know if y'all feel bad, but I feel kind of bad for him because he went from getting a even though Ferguson was on a losing streak. That's a name guy, which would have mm -hmm. probably been a dominant win against a name guy. To fighting a guy who doesn't have a name and and he put on to me he put on a winning performance I, like i said it's yeah. a rob only reason i call it a robbery is because rodriguez to me ne never took the momentum away nope. and took over a fight maybe in the, the, the third round but even then it was the third round was questionable and that was the only round yeah. but i feel bad for him because he he had all this heat coming in the leech had all this name people talking about the suit he's about to get this high profile squash match and then he gets put in with a guy who even if he beats 
doesn't have any name value, and then in fact loses to a guy with no real name value. Like just a tremendous, a tremendous turnaround for that that young man. Yep, man, mm. totally suck for him. All right, we're gonna kind of blast through these last three fights, but this this first one that we're gonna talk about, Irina Aldana. And that absolutely amazing up kick, liver kick that knocked out Macy Chazon. But we must go to the first round, though, where that it looked like Macy might have already been finished in that first round. And Jason Herzog actually posted on Twitter. He responded to someone that says, when you look at the, the replay, it looks like she tapped and jason herzog says upon viewing i can see why people are saying this schwan what did you see i thought she actually could have the fight could have been called in the first round mm. I, I have nothing against macy chieson um i don't think she's really improved she's kind of a big physical tough fighter and against third tier fourth tier type fighter she looks really good she looks all right against some lower second tier, but when she faces better opposition with athleticism, she always finds a way to lose. She does just enough to be competitive. Um, Aldana is a great athlete. She's got great striking skills. Her corner, to me, doesn't prepare her for an all-round MMA fight, and I don't think her IQ is there, but she's got enough skills and athleticism. She can beat the majority of girls. In fact, most of her losses have just been because she's fought the wrong strategy. And I, I've talked to her camp before. I don't understand what they're doing. But... um. Now you have somebody who's a potential title challenger. If they don't do the rematch between Nunes and um and Pena, she she could jump in. And if you uh otherwise you could put Pena against her and see if you could get Pena another fight against Amanda Nunes to to build interest. About the stoppage win, that was really super cool. But I had a joke with people on Twitter that now all the camps are going to be working on this kick to the liver from the ground instead of <laughs> instead of developing the skills that'll create that opportunity. They're just going to be like, okay, they take you down, kick them to the liver. Because you know how MMA is. First it was the crane kicks, then it was the spinning shit. Now it's going to be kicked to the liver from the ground. So just be prepared for that over and over. <laughs> no, and be ready. Monday morning, every jiu-jitsu camp is going to be, every jiu-jitsu academy in America is going to be looking at that Nate Diaz guillotine with the shoulder push. You know, just like they did with the Sulo F stretches, it's it's going to be exactly that, man. It's just just watch. Um, I yeah, look, I, I kind of felt like stylistically, Aldana should have been the one to win this fight, even though Macy does bring that that toughness, that size, that grit, um, and and she is, I guess, I. I I don't know, man. I don't know where exactly the, the disconnect lies with her. I think she has the potential to be a little to do better than she's doing now. Uh, I, I do think that she is still a very good fighter, regardless, uh, despite this loss. But um, you know, look, man, that that's weird. And I think it was actually kind of funny that uh, Irena was like, "Yeah, no, actually, I practice that in training a lot." Like, shit, really? <laughs> okay, I, I'm wondering what other lethal Mexican techniques you guys are working on. I, that's 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 intriguing, but um, it's good, I guess. Aldana gets back on the uh, on the map with a highlight real finish. Um, it does give her the potential to have some degree of, of visibility to let her back. And like you said, Juan, you know, look if if the uh, that third fight between Pena and Nunez doesn't happen, well, I guess you've got a suitable replacement there for either one or a possible contender, a number one contender's fight with someone else later on. Uh, other than that, as far as Macy goes, well, I mean, it's Bantamweight. How much further back do you really need to go? Well, there's not that much room. Yeah, you know, let's let's talk about uh, the the catchweight aspect here because Macy's having a tough time at bantamweight. 
She's having yeah. a real tough time making the weight. She's a big girl. This yeah. is not the first that's, time. That's part of her advantage. Yeah. This is not the first time that she's struggled making weight. So, and, and they had to make this at, but I believe 140. Am I correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So, so this is not the first time and we might need to see Macy go to 145. I mean, there are girls, uh, what's her name? Aspen Ladd. We haven't seen her make weight yet. <laughs> I mean, there are girls that could fill out that division now. So, and and then you have Norma Dumont. Uh, we'll talk about her in just a second here and, and just real briefly. But uh, you have Norma Dumont, who could be a, a possible contender for Amanda Nunes to face at 145, an easy half a million dollar bag for Amanda to get. But anyways, <laughs> let's let's take a look really quick here at Johnny Walker and Iwan Kutalaba. We've got two guys here. Uh, Gicks, guys I can't trust. That became full-on Gick does. Guys I can't trust at all because, I mean... It, it it wouldn't have mattered if Ewan had won or if Johnny Walker had won. You you can't really trust either guy to to mm-hmm. to perform to their level of athleticism. Man, if you could put some skill and technique with both of these guys, we would have bona fide killers. But we get these mixed bags, hit or miss, and I don't know what to do here. Schwan, talk to me. There's two things with Johnny Walker. First, in the light heavyweight division, I've said this many times, light heavyweight and heavyweight, the divisions are so thin that a guy can get two or three big wins, and all of a sudden he's facing guys who, he's facing older veteran guys who know all the tricks. So all those mistakes that he's still making because he hasn't had to work his way up the ranks get exposed. And that's what happened to Walker. A lot of easy submission losses and bad strategies of getting him finished repeatedly. Secondly, his great athlete, but the difference between him and like a John Jones is John Jones had that durability. Walker's not super durable. If he was, a lot of the losses he has wouldn't be losses. He really can't take punishment the way Jones does. And he's a very creative fighter. So he can he can find submissions. Him getting a submission or a crazy knockout or a crazy slam is perfectly within his wheelhouse. The question is, when he gets out of position or a guy times him, can he handle what's coming back at him? And the answer more times than not has been no. Mm-hmm. So I'm never shocked by him doing this because with his athleticism and his reach and how creative he's willing to be in there, he'll be able to find, he'll, he'll hit all sorts of crazy submissions, but if he misses it and you land that hammer fist or he goes for some crazy spinning technique and you hit him with that counter hook, his lights go out. John Jones would misses a spinning shot. You catch him because a, he's got a chin and B he's tall. You're not catching him as clean and he can handle whatever you give him and still press you. Johnny Walker doesn't have that durability. So we can't pressure you and he doesn't have that cardio. So we can't, continuously pressure you he just fights in spots and he doesn't have a good enough chin to navigate that but on his wins he'll either he'll be there soar in, into the heavens or he'll crash into the ground like a plane it's, it's one or the other there's no it's feast or famine with him and that's part of the reason he has such a big fan base because people know one way or another it's going to be something dynamic he generally doesn't have boring fights what about Iwan kutalaba though we, we've got basically a similar situation there with the hulk I feel like, once again, with his level of athleticism, at any point, these guys could put it together. And so you kind of keep them around. The difference is Walker has a personality and a kind of vibe that's going to, I think, get him multiple opportunities because of how he sells himself. He seems more appealing. Kuzalaba, to me, doesn't have that charisma or that charm, even though he's very much a similar fighter. Um but once again, another feast of famine guy. He could go on a four-fight win streak or he could go lose four fights in a row. You just never know with those guys, except it's going to be exciting. 
Victor. Oy, yeah, so Walker, you know, number one, number one, big thing he's got to change. Stop doing the worm. You're going to hurt yourself again. Do the robot dance, do the floss dance, do whatever. Stop doing this goofiness. It's going to get you hurt. Number two. Yeah, okay. I mean, I did pick him to win, but I'm not exactly thrilled with it because where does he go from here? What did we really see from this that really led you think, yeah, you know what? Okay, he's he's back in the saddle. He's going to be, you know, he's, he's he's cleaned up a lot. He's ready. No, dude, he's still making a lot of the same mistakes. And, you know, Sean, you made that comparison to John Jones earlier, and that, that, that does make a lot of sense that he doesn't quite have the sort of um, the, the sort of baked in elements that you need to survive some of the risks that he takes when they fail. And to, you know, the, the other thing, you know, like, OK, so he, he if he does a spinning attack compared to John Jones, at the very least, Jones is not that far as far out of position or leaning forward as much as Johnny Walker is. And that is what leads to him absorbing a lot more of that force when it comes his way. And it's hard for him or anybody else to handle it. And sure, look, he's fighting a lot of hard hitters. But goddamn, dude, like you could do yourself a few more favors here. Um, he did seem a little smarter, a little savvier in this one. Not that much different from his last fight. And uh, since the majority of the rest of the, uh, you know, the, the, what led to the end was contested largely on the ground, uh, it's fine, I guess, whatever. As far as Kutalaba goes, yeah, look, I didn't trust him either. A lot of raw athleticism, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of a, that, that killer instinct to finish a fight. He's great at that, but what do you do then? You know, what What else does he have with him? I'm not even sure. Where does he go at this point? Looking at the fact that he's still 28, which is, again, you know, for light heavyweight and heavyweight is basically puberty. But, um, you know, he, he got the loss against Ryan Spann not too long ago back in May and had another submission loss here. Um, I don't think he's going to be cut. I mean, they do need bodies at, at light heavyweight, but I don't know what else really can be done in this case. There's nothing really favorable to, for me to say about this other than saying, hey, this guy, despite all the adjustments and moving to extreme couture and doing all this stuff, he looks like he's still going on that slide, and I don't know how to help him. Well, one last thing. When these guys make these adjustments in camps, having work with fighters or even any athlete, it just takes time. And I don't I don't know that there's enough depth in the division where you could slowly work your way into, into form. You win one or two fights, you're getting a named guy again. You're getting an elite yeah. guy again. So it's like there's no time for you to really – learn the new technique, slowly work it in and develop it as the second nature thing. You're still getting by your athleticism. You're trying to do it. And these guys don't make enough money to take six to eight months off to really, really, really dedicate themselves to that improvement. They'll, mm. He'll be back in the cage maybe four months from now, maybe three. If somebody drops out, maybe two, and he'll be right back in. How do you improve when you're constantly fighting like that? It doesn't help that his chosen camp is SBG Ireland. Okay, I'm, I'm just going to put that out there. I, I don't yeah, think yeah. that's an ideal camp for, for any high-level athlete, but that's just me. I, I maintain that if you're not starting out there, it's not going to work. If you start from begin, from the ground level at SPG Ireland, you're going to probably do okay. But if you just come in from somewhere else, it, I, I don't see them improving anybody right now. There's, to me, they're, they're a lot like Jackson Wink, except they don't have the level of athletes. Jackson right. Wink had a lot of success, but they were a GSP, one of the best athletes ever. Holly Holm, one of the best athletes ever. Rashad Evans, one of the best athletes ever. Um, Cub Swanson was one of the best athletes in his division. All the guys who were world-ranked or potential champions or actual champions were all more the most durable, athletic, dynamic fighters in their divisions. Mm. When they when they started having guys who lost a step or guys who weren't super athletic, how many of those guys got real far? Key Jardine didn't get quite as far. 
Yeah. A lot of other fighters. Um, I forgot Keith Jardine's wife fought out of Jackson Wing. She didn't do really great Jody either. Yeah. Yeah. It once again. So I, you just I noticed SPG flag. doesn't have the level of talent. Yeah. Connor was an above average great or great talent. He did well. Everybody else's does okay because they're okay talents. There was a lot more high level bodies at Jackson than there were than there's ever been at SBG Ireland. And you can start out there from the beginning because you have guys out there that started from the beginning. I mean, Mr. Finland has been out there almost from the beginning and he has uh, stagnated and maybe even moved backwards in his yeah. technique. I mean, yes. it's just, he it's left, he sad. left all stars. He yeah. left all stars to go to SBG. Like, but Buddy, he was so I, early and he was so early in his career though that I mean he's been with SBG now for almost a decade. I so, think he's doing more with his wrestling for them than they're doing for him. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like I don't like trashing again. I don't like trashing camps like that. But come on, man! Like you, I'm I gotta I gotta say what I see, and that's it. And speaking of high level body stuff, who else we got next? Oh, we've got <laughs> we've got Huggy Bear, yeah, and I wanted to talk about this because you know he's had such a year, and it's so nice to see him get this win. I know him. Victor knows him, and and Schwann, you probably know him too. I've interviewed him multiple times, as has Victor, and he's just the nicest guy. So it's always really cool to see him get a win. But I think this one's a little bit more special than the rest, considering the hellacious year that he's had. So I wanted to just give him a little bit of shine here and a, a big shout out because we love him here. So yes, congratulations, Chris Barnett, Huggy Bear. I heard about his life, his life, everything's going on. He's such a nice, he, he's got such a charisma and a charm. If he can put wins together, he can, he can establish his own brand and make his own ticket moving forward. He's funny. He's energetic. He's exciting. He has a relatable story. He, he seems to be like a relatable guy and he, he's an exciting style. He, he could really become a superstar. He puts two or three more wins together. They might really start pushing this guy really hard. He could be like Roy Nelson on steroids as far as a fan, a consistent fan base that constantly keeps him at the highest level of mixed martial arts. And uh, so for him to win after what he went through recently is uh, that's mental. That's a definition of mental toughness, man. All prayers to that, that young man. Cause that was, I don't know if I could even go to work after that kind of, that kind of year. Yeah, for sure. Victor. Yeah. See the thing with Chris, I've been watching him fight since martial combat. Mm. Okay. That's how old I am. That's how long he's been doing it. And that's how far the soul trajectory has been. And yeah, he's had a terrible year as you guys mentioned, but, um, I, I, I'm not, I wasn't super happy with some of the damage he took and I'm not super happy with his lack of, I mean, look, the guy missed weight at heavyweight. Okay. It's not like Shane Carwin, who's got a ton of muscle mass. Okay. This is, there's, there's, Clearly, I, this is not just a product. I promise you, it's not just a product of my bias against fat heavyweights. Okay, Collier, there's no real excuse if you're a high-level athlete to be out here looking the way these do because it's compromising your movement. It's compromising your, your, your cardio. It's messing with everything in your game, and it, you're not going to reach the highest level of your ability. He's only five foot nine. Come on, man. You know, you, he could have done a little something there, even though his circumstances were very, very uh, – 
problematic, let's say, right? He had some really tough situations going on around him in his personal life, but this is who kind of who he's been for a while. But, you know, Shawan, again, yeah, he, he would be. I'd say he's got a way bigger advantage than, than Roy Nelson because he's a genuinely charismatic guy who's not on some weirdo shit. You know, Roy Nelson will talk about some tinfoil hat stuff that doesn't make sense. He's connecting sentences that do not go together, whereas Chris isn't that kind of dude. Chris is just some dude. And matter of fact, if Chris started like a Twitch channel or something like that, he'd make a ton of money. He could start an OnlyFans and just make it like a gap account you know what i mean like just him throwing kicks and like you know making funny videos and people will probably pay to do it because he is a guy that has natural charm that brings people to him so if you combine that with his fighting ability i don't think he's even really uh shown the full potential of what he can do in the ufc yet and this is a guy who had a sensational knockout against john Vellante. speaking of fat heavyweights uh you know that that's that's like it's it's money that's being left on the ground for this guy to not do better so i I just I feel kind of bad because I'm not saying that Collier is a scrub, but I kind of felt that, you know, there was a lot of damage that he didn't have to take in that fight. Yeah, the fact this is going to help him sell, but that punishment could hurt him like your body is not going to recover because it's not conditioned correctly, in my opinion. Um, no mm-hmm. offense to the guy. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, yeah. Stephanie. No, I was just going to say that first round, it, it could have been stopped. It, it probably should have been stopped. He was gift. He was given a gift by the, the ref letting it go on. You know, and and he ended up making it work to his advantage there when he when he was able to get the finish. But it could have gone very, very awkwardly for him and he could have ended up with a loss. But, you know, the ref uh, gave him a break and that's what happened. So, Victor, take us out. Take us. in. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. (laughs) We're going to talk about taking out or actually threats of being taken out. And that is the mess That was the near end of the week with the press conference cancellation. ESPN apparently had some camera people back there, too. Of course, as you do, right, it's part of the warm-up of the uh, event. You know, you have people backstage already mic'd up, cameras ready, set to go. There's nothing unusual with that. However, there is a lot that is, um, I guess, how do I put this? Uh, there was there was too much conflict and friction. And we already referred to this a little earlier with Hamzat having altercations with both Nate and Kevin Holland. But then their camps got involved. And these cats are rolling deep with like Nate had like, what, like 20 something people. And Hamzat had about 15, 20 people, too. And this whole thing became a, a, a very um, unfortunate uh, set of factors that came together. All of this became so much of an untenable situation that it was perhaps, uh, according to Dana White, for the safety of all parties involved and the audience. I mean, was did someone pull a knife or something? Did someone have a razor blade in their gums? Like, what, what's going on? What episode of Oz did I miss here? What, what happened back there? Because from the footage that was released, and I'll grant you the fact and the possibility that maybe there were stuff that didn't make it to air that could have been a lot more egregious, but in order to avoid themselves a certain degree of legal legal problems or embarrassment, they chose not to air. I'll grant you that. That is possible. But what we saw was actually rather tame. It was a couple of guys yelling at each other, and uh, I think Nate threw something at somebody. And it's like, well, we've seen, you know, like Jake Shields' fastball. Like I don't, I don't see what the big deal is here with that. But it led to the reshuffling of the card. It led to a lot of speculation, and as I referenced earlier, right, a lot of tinfoil hattery and a lot of shenanigans um i don't really know what else could have been done to prevent anything major other than that if they felt that this was the safest way to go about it 
I guess, sure, fine. I don't really have a problem with it being canceled in that sense. The UFC doesn't take that much of a hit uh, in, in terms of that because they've already paid for the venue space largely. I do think it's a bit of a problem that the result of that with the reshuffling is that the UFC ends up getting a whole lot more credit that they do not deserve as far as making the fights go on as they did, you know, the whole, the show must go on. Well, yeah, when you have the kind of power that is uh, so incredibly unilateral, then of course, yeah, you're going to have that happen. And fighters don't get paid if they do not fight. So yes, I'm sure they're going to be a lot more amenable to the terms that were being put out there. But uh, there's there's a lot of questions here that have gone unanswered. Uh, Chemaev has now claimed that Nate Diaz turned down a $2 million offer to fight him. I'm not sure where that money was going to come from. Was it going to come from his manager? Was it going to come from his own bank account? Like, who was going to be the person to front that money? And would that have been more than what Nate was going to make anyway? Would that have been more on top? Like, I don't understand where exactly this was supposed to happen. Nobody, again, nobody asked, nobody elaborated. It just became so much more of an unhinged mess as it went on. And, uh, you know, man, it just... I, I don't even know where else we can even begin with this. We've seen worse altercations in the past, and yet the UFC refuses to have uh, maybe tighter or stricter protocols. There's no real consequences in terms of behavior because no one is keeping these guys in check. There's no code of conduct anymore. That's That's been a bit of a punchline, at least on our podcast, for years now. Um, I don't know what else can be done here to remedy this. Schwan, what did you make of that whole fiasco and the manner in which it was handled? Well, the only reason I thought that I bought the safety thing was because of who was involved in this. It's Nate Diaz. He always rolls deep. So, and Jemayev is known to have a couple people around him. So I bought the fact that it could be dangerous because there's so many people who, whose entourages are willing to engage in it. It wouldn't be like, you know, one or two people fighting. It'd be one or two people fighting and then people from backstage coming out on the stage to fight too. That, that's what I felt would happen. When Daniel Cormier and John Jones fought, that was just between them two. When you see other guys kind of get go at each other, it's between these them two. If Nate Diaz gets into some kind of scrap on the stage, you know Nick and Jake and Gilbert and everybody else are coming out there. That That's just going to happen. So I kind of bought that. But ultimately, the UFC, even though they try to talk about being professionals, they always use this kind of stuff to sell their fight. <laughs> that That's what they do. They, they create situations like this. The Connor thing, when he attacked the bus, they ran that footage so much. That's the reason it sold $2 million. Yeah, it was a good fight. Yeah, Connor's a huge star. But when you see, like, one of the best martial artists in the world literally, like, coming with his crew to attack another one of the best martial artists in the world in a, gar- a parking garage, and then you find out the story that the other best martial artist in the world ran up on Connor's guy and smacked him around with his crew, and Connor heard about it and just jumped on a plane from Ireland and said, what's up? It just makes it seem that much more street and that much more edgy and that much more anything could happen. So the UFC played up to this. They, they knew what they were getting when they brought Nate Diaz in. Nate's going to talk trash. His crew's going to be there. He's going to bump into you, egg you on, and try try to set something off. It's just business as usual. They're trying to do anything and everything they can to get that bottom line up. And as far as Nate being paid more money, the UFC has the money to pay people. We, we know the, the fighters' cut of their salary is not that much. So in theory, if the UFC wanted to pay more money to people, they have tens, if not hundreds of millions more they could pay guys. Them pulling out an extra $2 million for Nate Diaz is not outside of the realm of possibility. You, when you look at what the fighters make and then you would look what the what they make every event in over a year, they could have afforded to pay Nate $5 million extra if they really wanted to. 
I'm not saying it's likely. I'm not saying it would happen, but it doesn't it doesn't surprise me the UFC might try to push that fight through. It, it might be willing to pay some extra money for it because they, they have the money to go. And if, if this event falls apart, the UFC's thing is consistency. We don't miss events. We don't do that. That's boxing. That's these other sports. The UFC's always ready to go. The only one thing I'm going to say, the last thing I'm going to say is a lot of people talk about conspiracy, but if it ever comes out, the UFC somehow try to set this up as a, as a legitimate sport, they take a huge hit. One of the main things they've been able to navigate is never having some kind of uh, thing you could trace back saying that this guy was bought off, this guy was paid off, or this or that or whatever. If this is what they really did, they somehow manipulated this behind the scenes and this comes out, that's a huge story. And that essentially takes away a lot of the leverage they have is a, is a legitimate business or legitimate sport. Yep. I look at this uh, footage and how heavily edited it was. And I'm sorry. I think that they should have kept the mystique. I would have kept this hidden. I would have never released that bullshit footage. Oh my God, it was ridiculous. It was nothing like what they claimed. It was well overblown. Oh my God, talking about gilding the lily. Jesus Christ, this was ridiculous. I would have kept it hidden. So dumb, so dumb, so dumb. It was nothing like they made it out. And I was very let down to see that footage with the way that Dana described it. Ridiculous. I'm sorry. I I have nothing nice to say about it. <laughs> I I want to see what was left on the cutting room floor. That, that's that's the only way that I can even even begin to come close to saying like, okay, maybe there's some justification. But other than that, like, dude, what are we really doing here? It's just all right, fine, whatever. I guess I don't know. Before real quick, before we move on, as far as Nate being offered the two million, I I firmly believe that. But I think it's incredibly smart on Nate's part, even if he wasn't already making two million, which I doubt. I think that Nate was probably making in the neighborhood of five million because he commands a big purse these days. But, mm-hmm. but he was the centerpiece of the promotion, right? But uh, as far as the UFC uh, sweetening the pot with another two million, I absolutely believe that happened. Very smart on his part to not take it though, because. If he had fought Shemaev, he was for sure going to lose. And he was going to lose bad. So he has a much better opportunity for a a Cinderella win, which is what he got, if he takes the fight with with Ferguson. In the end, it's worth a lot more than the $2 he left on the table to walk out of there free and clear on a win. It makes that fight with, uh, that possible fight with Jake Paul a lot better. But Jake Paul has a tall order in front of him with Anderson Silva because Anderson Silva could very well make that fight ugly enough to get a win out of it. For for Nate's sake, I I hope that uh, that fight is super competitive, however it turns out, so that uh, if if Jake doesn't get the win, somehow there's still a, a juicy, beefy fight left on the table. Schwan? In, unless Jake gets completely styled on, if it's a competitive fight, even if it's a close fight, Jake Paul wins because people don't mm-hmm. take him seriously. Right. So if it's a close fight, he gets the credit for going the rounds and being competitive. He'll be, if he's if he's more competitive than the former world champion Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., that's a win for that's a win for him. If he if he beats Anderson Silva. That's an even bigger win. Yes. Either way, I, I don't think it takes a lot of it t- takes a lot of shine off him because. One, Jake Paul has gotten better. And two, he's fighting a guy who was at one point 
the m- most dominant right. combat sports athlete in the world, who was also a striker and a guy who on his recent resume beat a former world champion, a legitimate world champion in an eight round fight. The, the only thing that's going to damage, that's going to create anything detrimental to a possible fight is if Anderson sleeps him. If Anderson knocks yeah. him out, that will take a lot of shine off. Yeah, he, he can't get knocked out, but Jake's people didn't pick Anderson for no reason. Anderson's coming up on 50, even though he still looks amazing. If you watch those boxing matches, his speed isn't quite what he used to be. The power is not right there. His build, The fact that he can actually box is what's getting him by against these guys. But some of these guys he's knocked out are just as outmatched as anybody that Jake Paul's fought. Tito Ortiz, that, I mean, that, it, it was a dynamic knockout, but Tito Ortiz can't box. That's that fair. other boxer he beat was like two sizes too small. The win over Julio Cesar Chavez is what he's hanging his hat over. And I'm not saying he can't beat Jake Paul, but everybody who sparred with Jake Paul said, Jake Paul's very smart. He's mm-hmm. a very good athlete in his prime, and he hits really really hard i'm not saying that he just blows through anderson but for people to say that jake paul doesn't have a chance to win this anderson's not a dominant world champion type fighter let's let's not mix that up so it's possible that jake can win this fight and if he wins it that makes the fight with nate diaz a huge payday but even if he's just competitive with it if it's a draw he loses nothing and it's still a big day. It's still a big payday for Nate. And that that was my point right there. The only way that this really loses any shine is if he gets knocked out by Anderson. And and that's not uh, a huge possibility. I would say it's, uh, you know, uh, 65-35. I would say 35% Anderson could do it, not 65. Now, you know, five, six years ago, I would have said 65 Anderson. But uh, still, even if he loses to Anderson, as long as it's competitive, if it's a decision, he's good to go for sure. And it's funny, too, because you guys, we basically created the segue to the next thing we were going to discuss, which is exactly what happened after the fight with Nate Diaz. He said he was going to leave MMA. He was going to ride off into the sunset, but not exactly to tend to his garden or anything else, which we know what he's growing in that garden. And I want some. Uh, We actually (laughs) heard him discuss that he wanted to pursue other avenues in combat sports, set up his own promotion, all this other stuff. And we all know that uh, the whole Jake Paul thing is something that he's been hinting at and well jake has kind of been uh not exactly shy about his desire to take on any mma fighter that's out there because let's face it that's where he's making his money not actual boxers but mma guys and he took to instagram and he did that weird thing where he stood in front of the screen and, you know he's ooh pretending he's surprised and he says nate diaz is going into the sport of boxing i wonder who he should fight and he made that goofy stupid face of his because he does have a dumb face um yeah, obviously, obviously, this is just another matter, another manner of drumming up interest for his um, infantile audience, and trying to, uh, I guess, keep a couple of irons in the fire. Right? He's already got his hands full with Anderson Silva, but it's always good to have someone who is as volatile as Nate, as respected as Nate, and who just came out on top as Nate did, landing a lot of punches. There's a lot to draw from with that performance, and a lot of excitement that can be drummed up here for this. I guess I it's gonna. <laughs> I guess it's gonna have to happen eventually. I mean, whether or not he loses to Anderson, Jake is probably gonna have a fight against Nate because guess what? Jake makes money. It doesn't matter. It's gonna be a thing where it's he's going to draw, and maybe he won't lose that much luster losing to Anderson because the 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 hype surrounding a fight between him and Nate 
could maybe offset some of the damage to his reputation or to his uh, image uh, in terms of him being a, a more dangerous fighter than some people want to make him out to be. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about this, but do you think that if there is any possibility, depending on on how the fight with Anderson goes, of course, that this fight ever gets made? Sean. Yeah, I, I I still think it does. And one thing I have to say about Jake Paul, I, I apologize for interrupting. My apologies, guys. Um, Jake, even though people bash the fact he's fighting MMA fighters, and I know it's not real boxers, the one thing we have to remember is there's guys who come off winning Olympic golds, and they're fighting guys who were 2-15. and 15. They're fighting guys who, who lost 10 fights in a row. So when people question Jake Paul's opposition in the boxing world, that's fairly normal. There's guys who are going to be world champions who are right now are fighting cab drivers. They're fighting guys who couldn't beat me in a boxing match. That That's common. So Jake Paul is actually being moved appropriately. So one, I once again say he can beat Anderson because he's been focusing on boxing purely for, what, six years now? He's been getting top-notch sparring. He's been doing the conditioning. And this, the whole time where he's not fighting, he's getting better. Anderson is not getting better athletically. And to be honest, is good. he's as good a boxer as he's going to be in his entire career right now. Jake Paul is on the upswing. As long as he does not get knocked out, the fight with Nate is there and there's a good chance he's not going to get knocked out because Anderson's not a, he's not a surge and destroy type guy. He's always a counter guy. So if Jake doesn't set him up for, set himself up for a knockout, he's, he'll, he'll get chipped up, but he'll most likely win or worst case scenario, just, just get out box. But as long as he shows heart, you can sell that same story. The two toughest guys who fight the baddest, biggest guys out there, Nate Diaz, Jake Paul. And there's a certain segment of people who just want to see, they don't want to see just Nate, Jake Paul get beat up. They want to see Jake Paul get beat up by a guy who's going to talk trash to him and humiliate him. Anderson's very humble. He's a martial artist. He beats him. It's a good, clean win. If Nate beats him, he's going to say he's a clown. He's a punk. He's a coward. He's a sucker. Then he's going to beat him up, make fun of him while he does it. And he's going to make fun of him afterwards. They want to see Jake really humbled in a, uh, out, getting out box won't do it. Even getting knocked out won't. They want the complete, complete humiliation. And Jake Paul knows that. That's why he sells that personality. So either way, he's going to be set up because if Anderson beats him, Anderson won't do it in the way that people want to see it done. They want him embarrassed. And Anderson won't embarrass him the way they want to see him embarrassed. You know, this has the potential to be Jake Paul's biggest fight ever because of the massive following each man commands and the, the followings are polar opposites but they experience a ton of crossover <laughs> it's so crazy like i said even if, if anderson knocks him out he's going to be humble and you're a great warrior and all that nonsense they want to see jay get beat up and knocked yeah. out and have somebody do a dance on him and make a meme about him that's what they want yeah for sure all right so we're going to look at a couple of moments that happened around the globe in other combat sports and other MMA promotions. Now, I want to focus on this first one at Fairtex Fight, this absolutely incredible triangle setup by Ben Royal. And it was so funny because the commentary team, it seemed like they were just waiting for this moment. So, Schwan, why don't you tell us what you're looking at here? One thing I always, when I see young fighters or anybody fighting on any sort of card, you can't get enough promotion. You can't do anything that becomes viral, whether even if it's a you're you're on the bad side of it, helps you because in mixed martial arts, it's so hard to get branding. It's so hard to get a name and separate yourself from all the hundreds and thousands of fighters out there, especially the ones with a bigger platform. So when I saw when I saw the fight and I saw the execution, I'm just like, this depending on how this person is moved moving forward, they have a huge chance to just separate themselves and maybe maybe skip a couple of steps and get 
into the UFC or into a belt or into a risen, like something. It's just very hard to stand out in mixed martial arts. So anything you do that's going to get attention or draw eyes is going to can, can turn your career around in a minute. And I was just one. I'm really interested to see what happens after the fact, like, can this person parlay this into something bigger? That's what, that's the first thing that came across my mind. Victor. That was, uh, that was just so smooth, man. I can't get over how slick that was. I wish I had the kind of coordination and dexterity to pull off how the way that triangle went, man. He was just sliding the leg over the back. And as soon as the guy turned over, he was like, Oh, gotcha, bitch. You know? <laughs> like he made him regret it instantly. Uh, I, yeah, it was dope. It's a moment that you got to check out. And he just did, uh, right there, something that could be either the positive turning point in his career to get him on the map for a bigger organization to want to get him in, or it could be the kiss of death because if he's not ready for the challenges that might be thrown his way after this, I mean, you know, it's it's going to be a bit of a problem. Um, but I think he might be. I mean, this dude, I was looking at uh, pretty much where he's been. He seems like he's a dude that can handle uh, a, a higher level of opposition here at this rate. And uh, I, I want to see where he goes here. I mean, that that was um, it's again, it, it's you don't really have too many breakthrough moments like that. It's hard to get attention on this level outside of the UFC. And that's why I'm glad we get guys like Caposa and all these dudes that are able to watch these shows that nobody else watches and kind of put these things out here for us. And you're like, oh, OK, that's. That's, uh, you know, damn, these, there, there's some really good dudes out here. And, man, I want to see that guy taking on, you know, people that are in, you know, let, let's say Ryzen or KSW or Bellator or the UFC. Like, I want to see these dudes uh, fighting somewhere that I will be able to see them more readily against uh, opponents that are much more recognizable because they are of a higher level of talent. Absolutely. Now, our, our last moment is going to come from Social Gloves, and it featured Le'Veon Bell absolutely wiping the floor with Adrian Peterson. Schwan, <laughs> walk us through this. Boy, I watched this thing about 15 times, and it gets better every time. It was it was really mostly an uneventful fight. Um Basically, they were just kind of jabbing and staying at range. Nobody really wanted to commit. It's it's very funny because when people watch boxing or watch MMA, the first thing they say is they got to go for it. But when people actually get into a ring, especially inexperienced people, they never do that. They always right. try to like start boxing. Like they never want to engage like that. And from my experience in sparring, that's why I don't talk that stuff. I'll say what they need to do, but I'm like, I'm not a guy who just throws a bunch of volume. I don't want any of that. I'm going to try and box. So it's always funny watching people do that. But he basically fainted. And Peterson got got cleaned up with that right hand, and that was it. I mean, basically, the, the f- first the first really hard shot he took essentially ended the fight. Yep. And uh, it's just a reminder of how hard boxing is. A lot of people think, and athleticism and size plays a part in it. If you watch enough of these, um, you can see that if you're not a super high-level boxer, somebody being a slightly better athlete than you makes it really hard for you to do anything effective against them, even if you're a much better boxer. And by much better, I mean like you know, like they're they're one and you're like a three, but um, it's it's just an example of how hard boxing is and how most people aren't really built for it. Uh, Peterson didn't have any defensive awareness to roll with a punch or to manage a distance. He couldn't catch it. He couldn't roll with it. He couldn't slip it. And the first time he got touched, he caught caught it clean, and that was it. I mean, really, the first hard punch he took was out. It was a hell of a punch, but ultimately, the first hard punch he took and the fight was over. So. Um, it, it's very humbling to watch, and I feel bad for him because Peterson was known for being such a great running back, an Oklahoma mm-hmm. legend, an NFL legend, and now he's really going to be known for 
getting he's this is going to be big. He's going to be known for getting knocked out, just like uh, Nate Robinson was when Jake Paul iced him. Yeah, and that's basically what happened. He got iced. He got melted. Oh, Victor, yeah. what, did, what did you make of it before uh, before I take us out? I didn't see the whole fight because I didn't even know that this was happening until, you know, the morning after. And then I see the clip and I'm like, oh, God, you know, this doesn't need to happen. We don't have to do this. We don't need to make these. Like, when you come with these fights where people who don't know how to fight go out there and they're paid to actually fight, it just doesn't. It doesn't sit well with my spirit, man. I don't like that shit at all. Um, it, it, it's kind of what you get, right? It's two people that are kind of like afraid to get hit but really, really want to hit each other. And so they end up being super uncoordinated. And they get in the way of things that they should see coming, but they don't have that instinct because they don't really know what this is. You know, all their training or whatever they did, you know, the, the 38 cents worth of training that they got off of Groupon, it goes out the window. And that's what you end up with. This is what bad fights look like sometimes. It ends up with a world star moment that is often uh, cartoonish. And all of this is incredibly unnecessary. And, um, yeah, I, I guess it's just whatever to me. This is of no consequence. It wasn't even on my radar for good reason. And, I mean, I, aside from from that moment really i'm good with not having seen the rest because really it, it, there's no uh, i don't think there's really any benefit to it again i say this as someone who did not see the rest i am fine my conscience is more than beautifully pristine having missed everything else so yeah man i mean it's fine i suppose yes uh, one, one last thing I, I will say i respect some of these people i've watched them because i'm into combat sports and it's like it's it's a reality check for regular people because some guys have kept doing it and they've actually gotten better. I can see the technical growth. Like I've boxed before, I trained before. I, I can tell when someone's getting better. But secondly, I have a certain amount of respect for these people because there's so many people like who talk about and, and dis, dis fighters and whatever. And I'm like, especially in MMA, if you want to spar a fighter, you just got to show up at any MMA gym on a sparring night. I've done it for years. They'll let you in there. So it's like for them to go out there, I don't care if they're getting paid, getting beat up, in front of people, millions of people, and knowing you could be a meme, that that's different. I don't know if I'd take $100,000 to be embarrassed like that for the rest of my life. So I, I commend them for actually trying it, whether they're good or not, because it still takes guts to go out there in front of 10, 15, 100 million people, whoever watched it, and risk getting beat up or highlight reel knocked out. I mean, Adrian Peterson, is never, this, can, this can be brought up for the rest of his days. Indeed. Yes, it is. Yeah, I mean, that's, I guess, the only saving grace is, like, at least it happened to that guy for being a piece of shit and beating his kid. Indeed. So, anyways, Schwan, it's about time for us to wrap up. I want to start with you. Why don't you tell us what you've got going on, where we can find you on social media? This is your chance, your opportunity. Um, You can find me on Twitter. I'm usually talking about boxing um mixed martial arts because i sometimes i work with fighters in camps i would talk a lot about basketball because i also train basketball players so you can see me up there and anytime you want to talk about the sport or matchups or coaching or my stories with different camps or who has beef with me um which is a lot of guys i'm glad to share it um you can also find me on no trust me team alpha male came for me a couple years ago i mean they had like fifty thousand people on my on, on my ass on twitter so that I'm was crazy you. I'm lucky then. The only person who got beef with me is Bob Sapp, and I I don't even care to. I'm not going to dignify that with a response. <laughs> oh, thank you. those team alpha male people. Those fans are nuts. So thank God you avoided that. Uh, you can also I think find me on. I'm going to do an Instagram. It should be under Black Jordan Green as well. And uh, 
usually I'm helping fighters. I'm going to start writing some more articles a little bit here and there. And then I do video clips, breaking down fights or talking talking about interesting topics I like to discuss as it pertains to mixed martial arts or, or boxing. Awesome. Awesome. And I'm also linking your Twitter inside of the, uh, the post that we do every week for the show. So People, if you're looking for uh, Mr. Schwan Humes here, do check out the Bloody Elbow post, the YouTube post, the iTunes. Any of the posts will have his link there. Um, on behalf oh, of... Okay, guys, one, one more thing before sure. I go. One reason, like, I talk kind of crazy when I'm assessing fights, but the reason I do that is because I used to go to gyms a lot. So fighters would know I was going to a gym, and somebody who knew them be like, all right, now we're going to see what you know what you're going to do. So I kind of feel like I have the right to do that because I had to deal with amateur or professional fighters who are going to like test my knowledge, if you know what I'm saying. So it's like, when you start hearing me say like, he wouldn't say this to a fighter. No, no, no. I would say it because I've had to deal with the consequences for it. Maybe other people wouldn't, but I will say something crazy. It's not going to end well for me, but I will still give you my honest yet entertaining opinion on it. Sorry. (laughs) Well, on that note, we are going to wrap the show. Please do me a favor. Follow Victor. Follow Victor on Twitter at Vic M. Rodriguez. He's hilarious consistently. Oh, oh I'm not I, that good. I'm just a shit. No, no, I, I, I need to. I need to get on that because I. I always. He actually is really funny. I see his stuff and I'm like, dude, this dude. Well, he's in the wrong business, man. He's just working on his stand-up game. Like, what is he doing? Mm. He really is. And also check him out on his Instagram, where the food, the foodie photos just flow so freely. Look at me rhyming. I'm a poet. <laughs> Anyways, that's Victor Sinister Rodriguez on Instagram. And remember, Schwan is Black Jordan Breen on both Twitter and Instagram. So check them out there. Victor and I work for Bloody Elbow. You can find all our work there. Uh, if you listen to the pre recorded outro, you still get to hear Mookie's dulcet tones telling you where to find this show and all the other great bloody elbow uh, podcasts so do check that out and until next time please stay safe thank you for listening to this bloody elbow presents production to check out more of our content subscribe to our youtube channel which is titled bloody elbow presents we're also on soundcloud apple podcasts iHeartRadio, stitcher Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Vivisection, the Sixth Round Post Fight Show, Sixth Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, Guest Podcasts, and radio-style play-by-play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and on bloodyelbow.com.